it's good to be here and to see new faces uh, and old faces um, this morning. Uh, before we begin, let's say a word of prayer. Father, prepare our hearts and minds at this time. May uh, the words uh, that are heard, the words that are pronounced, uh, be uh, according to your Spirit's work in us. Uh, let nothing be said that need not be said. And whatever perhaps is missed in our conversation this morning, uh, may you, through your kindness and grace to us, uh, reveal something about yourself as God and creator of all things, who loves us and who desires a relationship with us and among us. Uh, We pray uh, that the situation in Ukraine would um, be on our hearts, Lord, but uh, in this time that we would join our brothers and sisters there in prayer. We believe, Lord, that you see all things and that your justice rolls as a mighty, mighty hand and mighty armor. And we ask now for wisdom on the side of the government, of the Ukrainian government, and we ask for your hand of protection over civilians, and uh, both young and old. Uh, Lord, you have showed us already how you enact your justice and your love and your mercy and your kindness and that you do not overlook the hurting, the weak, the vulnerable. And so, Lord, now we place this same trust in your hand to be in Ukraine, to be over the people there, to protect and to finally um, reveal to us the purpose of all of this. Uh, We understand that there are times when human power fails and we try to take things into our hands. But as we have learned over centuries, it is only you who moves the hearts of people and who changes them. And you do not overlook the evil that is happening in the world. And your righteous hand judges and strikes with mercy and kindness and love. And we ask for that love to be in our hearts, to help us understand the situation, to help us empathize uh, with our neighbors who may be of Russian or Ukrainian descent. And we ask, Lord, that in your time you deliver from this war. Thank you for the grace and the goodness that we get to experience at this time. May we not take it for granted, but may we be first to pass it forward. In your powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Alrighty. So, this morning's passage is about the fragrance of a house. And every house has its own smell, its own distinct sort of aroma. So if you've ever left your house for a longer period of time and returned, you know that uh, your home... There's, you, you enter your home and there's a distinct smell. And you're like, yes, I know, I am home. And with those smells, of course, come certain associations of what home means to you. The familiarity of the smell is the way that your home kind of welcomes you and it distinguishes your home from the houses of other people. Perhaps uh, at certain times of day, uh, you encounter different smells. Uh, in your house. 
So for example, if you were to enter your house around dinner time after 6 or 7 p.m., there's probably going to be certain sounds coming from the kitchen and certain aromas of fried oils and spices. And once you smell that, even if you're sitting in your room and you start to smell it, you know what the cues are. It's time to eat dinner. Our senses, as always, guide our imagination and desire. And this morning's reflections from the Gospel of John center around a specific aroma that arised in the house of Lazarus and his sisters. It was the smell of a very expensive perfume. And that smell created tension in the dialogues uh, while also signifying something that was very powerful. So as we enter the story today, let's pay attention to the characters. We got Mary, we have Martha, we have Lazarus, we have Judas, we have the crowd, we have the religious leaders, and we have Jesus. All seven parties, whether they are individuals or groups, participated and encountered Jesus in very different ways. Some people in today's story gave, and others saw it as an opportunity to receive something from Christ. At the same time, there were those in the story who had honest intentions when they were approaching Jesus. They approached him so closely. Why? Because they had a relationship with him. But on the other hand, there were those who kept their distance and held tightly to their own ideas of what it means to be good and righteous. And they were actually the ones who betrayed and killed Jesus. All in all, the first point that we have to make is the way in which Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, so the people who had a relationship with Jesus, some say they were probably even relatives, they were related, blood relatives, uh, distant, but you know, had uh, cousins or connections in that way. They were so related to Christ that in their intentions of the heart, they demonstrated generous hospitality to their honored guest. And that's obvious, right? You don't just invite a random stranger into your house. But uh, in the story, we see exactly how the three participate and show us what a true relationship between a guest and a host can look like. Where are we in the story? How do we enter it? Well, timeline-wise, we are approximately at the exact same timing of Jesus' last moments prior to his crucifixion, according to the Gospel of John. Why? We read that six days before Jesus enters Jerusalem, which is a week before the crucifixion, five days before the crucifixion, which would be Good Friday, if we count it back this week, we are with Mary, uh, Lazarus, and Martha, Next week, Jesus is entering Jerusalem, and five days later, he will be crucified. We read that six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany. So, yes, next week, we are going to traditionally celebrate Jesus' victorious and humble entry into Jerusalem. But before this, Jesus intentionally left the region surrounding Jerusalem. Why? Does anybody remember? Why did Jesus have to leave? 
Oh, this is why it was like connected. Jesus did something pretty radical. And it caused everyone to be very angry. Instead of healing Lazarus, he raised him from the dead. If you have your Bibles and want to look it up, it's actually in John chapter 11. Um, this miracle is so frustrating to the Pharisees for the following reason. Then, the, we read in chapter 11, the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together. What are we going to do, they asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this, if we allow him to say that death has no power over you, what's everyone going to do? Everyone will believe in him, right? And their control of society will be thwarted. And the Roman army will come and destroy us and our temple and our nation. So they see Jesus as a threat. And as we read earlier this morning, um, they also see Lazarus as a testimony of that threat. So when Jesus returns to Bethany, he is taking a risk. Right. He's been out for a little bit after Lazarus is being raised from the dead. And now he comes back. And in this story, he is the honored guest at this gathering. So as the three siblings welcome their guest and the people who come with him, right? Because we know the Judas and the crowd also come. Each of them shows something about the way in which Jesus welcomes a relationship with us. So, the ways in which Mary, Martha, and Lazarus related to Jesus demonstrated that their intentions were to show generous hospitality to their honored guest. Martha served the meal. Lazarus ate with Jesus. And Mary highlighted the radiance of Jesus' fragrance both in her household and at the point that Jesus, uh, that Jesus would enter Jerusalem. What does that mean? So Bethany is just outside of Jerusalem, right? Mary's house smells of Jesus' fragrance. And Jerusalem would smell that fragrance as Jesus comes into the city on a donkey. This is sort of hinting at remember Jesus' birth when the three wise men also bring him gifts. There are those who wish to highlight that Jesus is significantly different. And Mary and the Magi knew that. But all of a sudden, we're having a good time. Judas interrupts the warmth of the environment by judging Mary for her actions. What's really interesting, if you have your Bible, is in this situation, we see the difference between how Judas and the siblings see Jesus. Later on, we also encounter that the crowd and the religious leaders see Jesus very differently too. But we're just going to focus on Jesus and the siblings first. To Judas, who is tricky and is falsely genuine, right? 
he engages with Christ as someone who promotes good works. So, let's be real here. We can understand why Judas is interested, or he has some sort of attraction and wants to be close to Jesus, right? We, as humans, naturally gravitate towards people who are politically and socially woke, right? Or they make us feel good about ourselves. They give us something to please some inner desire. But our attraction or interest to a person should not make us behave in a certain way around them. And we see that Judas really controls his behavior around Jesus and his disciples. So it's important to see that in this story, Judas has a false assumption about Jesus and demonstrates um, that his intentions are geared toward the way things look on the outside rather than authentic, genuine desire out of the heart to serve, to enjoy, and to honor and love Jesus like the three siblings do. Do you see the contrast there? How Judas actually by saying, wait, we have to give to the poor, shows that, nah, that is not what Jesus came for. Judas thinks that the correct answer is, oh, this perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and money given to the poor, right? Jesus said, give to the poor, be generous with all that you have. But that's the problem, right? What's Judas doing right now? He's claiming to be a Jesus follower and actually becoming more like the religious leaders of the day who followed the Old Testament laws instead of loving the Lord with all their heart, soul, and mind. Right? Though Judas was so close to Jesus, he didn't have a relationship. He did it because it was convenient at the time. So, from this response, ah, the perfume was worth a thousand years' wages, what is she doing? We learn that basing our faith on outward demonstration of doing right with God and others is short-lived and eventually destructive to ourselves and those around us. What happens to Judas after he betrays Jesus? We read in the Gospels that he goes and commits suicide. It's too hard to live for the sake of fitting in with someone else, right? But it is so freeing, as we read from the three siblings, to know that we can enjoy, we can honor, and we can serve the Lord our God. This is the cool thing. Instead of rebuking Jesus, uh, Judas sorry, for the wrong intentions, Jesus rebukes him for judging Mary. When we are too focused on following Jesus because of our outward security, we begin to evaluate other people on the same basis. But when our intentions are right, we actually don't really have time to judge other people because we're so close to listening to what Jesus is saying. Because Jesus is so close in our household and we can smell him and we can hear him. We can even touch him as Mary does.
when it's not about, oh, I follow Jesus because it's uh, convenient and they're kind people and they'll take care of me. That's not going to last. But when we have that personal relationship, we become generous with our time and our food and we give honor where honor is due. So let's return to the story. At this point, the house is still filled with abundant, abundant fragrance. And Jesus responds, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. What's also interesting to note is that Jesus doesn't even bring up the stealing issue, right? John, the writer, tells us that Judas has a a stealing issue, but Jesus doesn't even go there. He says, it's not about the cost of the perfume. It's not about what's right here. It's that she did it out of her heart because she understands something significant that I'm about to do. Why Jesus doesn't rebuke Judas and say, hey, I know you have a stealing problem and you need to go figure that out? We don't know. And we don't need to spend time trying to figure that out. But we can ask the question. However, a question for you all. Who is the perfume actually meant for at the beginning of the story? Anybody know? Mary brings it to pour it on Jesus' feet. And Jesus says, Judas, don't judge her, it's for my burial. Who was the perfume actually meant for? Anybody have a decline? Jesus. Jesus got it, but who was it meant for? Huh? God, very good. Jesus, God, yes, all good answers. It's actually meant for Lazarus. Right? Because in the previous chapter, he was in the grave. He was in the tomb. And what happens when we pass away? Our bodies start to smell. And so Mary and Martha, being the sisters, right, the people who have to take care of the household now, they would have done an act of faith, actually, by bringing the most expensive thing in their household and giving it to their brother at the time of his burial. We read in chapter 11 that Lazarus was already in the tomb when Jesus arrived. According to Mary and Martha, Lazarus was dead. Jesus was too late to heal him. But the impossible happens. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. The fragrant perfume would have been for Lazarus. But Lazarus lived. So when Jesus told Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Guess what? Martha probably went and told Mary what Jesus had told her. And Mary went and told Lazarus, when he was raised from the dead. The three siblings encountered the power of God to raise their brother from the dead. They, were, they believed. They were set free. 
And they were so free, they took the expensive perfume that would have been for the dead and they gave it to Jesus while he was still alive, knowing that he too will die. But, unlike Lazarus who needed Christ to raise him, Jesus, being the Son of God, had the power of God to raise himself from the dead. So, serving with their whole heart, they prepared a meal and they enjoyed it with Jesus, knowing that it should have been our brother, but we know it's going to be you instead. So Mary is doing something very radical by pouring the expensive perfume on Jesus' feet and proceeding to actually take her hair and spread the oil over his feet, which were probably not clean, right? He had sores and blisters from all the walking. The fact that a woman could approach someone that closely, right, without having any uh, marital relationships with that person was unheard of. It's very radical. But she communicates the visible and invisible intentions of her heart. Jesus, it should have been my brother who I would have been able to come close to and put the oil on. But you are taking his place. And so I want to honor you. At the same time, Martha, remember, who serves genuinely, um, demonstrates her gratitude for the Messiah by doing what she does best. Do you guys remember the story of Mary and Martha uh, when we were first introduced to them in Luke? They are both doing two different things. Martha is cooking the meal, preparing, making sure everyone is feeling great and being a very good hostess. Mary is sitting next to Jesus and actually engaging in dialogue with him. And then Martha is all of a sudden like, yo, come on. You're supposed to help me. Why aren't you helping me? And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, Mary chose something that was good for her. I am not going to be with you always. But in John chapter 12, it's kind of nice to see that Martha continues doing what she does best. And she does it because she's grateful to Jesus, right? So it's no longer, ah, Lazarus, Mary, come help me. It's, no, I want to prepare the meal, and I want my guests to enjoy it. And what a call it is for all of us. If in the past, Martha served food as something that she had to do, and then she would hold a grudge against Mary, in this story, we read that after she saw Jesus raise her brother from the dead, that totally changed and inspired her desire to give her utmost for Christ. And finally, Lazarus. He was a dead man just like a couple weeks ago, right? No food. And he's eating with Jesus. And what a testimony that is, right? That we don't have to fear our bodies, but that we can love the Lord our God and enjoy our Father's presence. In this way, Lazarus' actions give us a glimpse of what our life already is like because we believe that the impossibility of the resurrection is possible through Jesus. So we get to enjoy the presence of God with other people. So this story isn't easy. It's a little bit confusing. There are a lot of things going on. 
But it demonstrates to us that there are visible and invisible intentions of our heart which are poured out of our experiences with Jesus, who Jesus is in your life at whatever point you find yourself in. The three siblings and Judas chose to see Jesus because of how close or how far Jesus was from their life. And this is the difference. For Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, Jesus was not the one, Jesus was not only the one who raised Lazarus from the dead, but he would also be the one to take his place. For Judas, however, he was the convenient person to follow at the time. And so everybody's intentions play out differently and are communicated differently. Jesus sees what the real issue is. And he sees that the real issue is that Judas thinks it's appropriate for him to say, you shouldn't do that, you should do this instead. So, lastly, we see that in the closing verses, the crowd gathers around to see the resurrected Lazarus and Jesus sitting next to him. As those of us here who call themselves Christians, followers of Jesus, believers, we demonstrate our commitment, our faith, through the way that we carry ourselves in this life. We believe that there is more than just the present now, as we read in the Apostles' Creed, right? We believe in life everlasting, and that we have already received the fullness of eternity. We can only imagine what this means, but there is a distinct difference in the way that we should hope plan and act because of this promise that, like Lazarus, your place was taken out of the tomb and Jesus took it instead. We understand that our actions have consequences and that loving others as we love ourselves is a reflection of how deep and wide and high and all-penetrating God's love is for his creation. The question, though, is, are we as radically courageous as the three siblings who, having witnessed the power of God to restore life, to bring back life, they chose to enjoy, serve, and glorify Jesus, who is the Son of God? Or, at this time, do we walk toward Christ in order to ensure that we're going to be okay, and maybe we'll get some perks out of it, right? I need somewhere to gather and have friends and feel good about my life. No, that's not what this is about. Our intentions inform the way in which our heart engages with the heart of God and with the people of God. Unfortunately, as it was even in Jesus' time, there are going to be people who look and find fault in the way that you do what the three siblings were doing, as you enjoy, serve, and love the Lord. At the end of the passage, Tommy read this morning that the religious leaders didn't only want to kill Jesus now, they also wanted to kill Lazarus. There are going to be things that are frustrating to others about the freedom 
right, that we get to have in Jesus. But this story, right before the most intense moment in all of human history, when a guiltless person was accused of something they had not done, takes the place of death humbly, accepts it, and ultimately defeats it. This story reinforces that there is something powerful about the fact that our bodies are resurrectable through the power of Jesus' name. That Jesus took our place. That his aroma continues to carry on through millennia now. And that there is a different way of living. Right? Not by feeling that we have to We have to say the right things. We have to do the right things. But that we get to do the right things and see the good work of the Lord around us and recognize it when it happens. So, as we take communion, if you you want to take communion, you don't have to. Take it with the freedom to follow and walk toward Christ because death has no power over you. Let's pray. Jesus, we can only imagine what that moment was like when Mary poured out the oil on your uh, feet, thereby showing to her guests, showing to the people outside who were trying to peek in that it should have been my brother, but it was you, it is going to be you instead. And wherever each of us is in this life, whatever anxieties and worries overwhelm us and we feel like Perhaps Jesus was close at one point, but now it's just a form of habit. We ask, Lord, that you would remind us that your fragrance, your presence is in our households, in our temples, in us as your temples. And that you don't care for the right words or the right actions. But you look at our heart. You shape it. You mold it. You perhaps show us where our judgments and our fears are miscued. But Lord, we can't imagine how hopeless life would be if we did not have hope in you. And we understand as the saint of old said, we are restless until we find rest in you. So I pray now, Lord, that wherever we are as we come into this communion time of sharing and participating in remembering what your blood and your body meant on that cross. And that by taking this now, 
We have hope. We have faith. And we have love that we too will rise from the dead. And that eternity is already part of our walk with you even now. And so plant our feet on firm ground. May we walk together and may we walk alone, always knowing that you walk beside, you shepherd us, and you bring us to cool pastures so that we might grow and flourish. And thank you that we get to enjoy doing outreach and service and justice work and that we are interested in uh, serving the underrepresented or uh, giving our time to young people or uh, pursuing our academic interests. But may we be transformed by this new renewal of our mind that it is not because there is no other way that we do these things, but because you have showed and you have freed and we get to serve, we get to enjoy and we get to love you, Lord, and your people. May we do it well and do it faithfully with the right intentions. We thank you for today and for the blessings and for the challenges that this day will bring. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.